Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy uh, this morning, 2 Timothy. And I want to pick up on something that we started here a few weeks ago when the Patch the Pirate crew was here. If you recall, and we got to, to touch on something that I think is an encouragement. And that's the idea of some things that are worth knowing. Some things that are worth knowing. You know, we live in a culture that seems to have a real appetite for a lot of things that aren't worth knowing. And everything from, you know, things that aren't so to uh, name it. Uh, but the biggest thing I noticed, if I had to characterize our current culture, I would characterize it with this phrase, gotcha. Gotcha. Everybody's out to get the dirt on the other guy. And uh, so it just, it just seems that, you know, everything from social media to, to fact checkers, and, and I, I asked you once already, who anointed those people, huh? Fact checkers, the people that are smarter than all the rest of us, they got to help us to decide what's true and false. But, uh, you know, virtual reality, things that pass for knowledge. And so I want to talk about some things that are, that are worth knowing, things that are worth knowing. The, the first thing we looked at, the first thing we looked at was uh, it's worth knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior. Look at, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. And by the way, if, if, we, didn't, if we didn't have anything but this one one idea right here, we'd have most of the world beat. And not that this is a contest, but do you realize people live their whole lives and some people with high IQs that are, you know, twice my IQ or even more, who knows, and, and yet for all that they learn, they never come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth, the most important truth. And this is it right here, folks. This is it. Whatever you do or don't know. Verse 12, Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. That is persecution as a preacher, as an apostle. He says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He says here, For I know whom I have believed. Whom I have believed. Now, I want you to notice that he didn't say, I know what I have believed. Notice he didn't say, I know when I have believed. Notice he didn't say, I know how I have believed. And I point that out because sometimes Christians literally lose assurance of their salvation because they get too hung up on, well, did I ask right? Did I say it right? And this guy over here knows the exact time and place and the details and the color of the carpet and the deacon he dealt with, and he filled out the card, and he's even got the card framed in his living room. And I remember being in Bible school in a preaching class, hearing testimonies like that, and here I go to Bible school, and I'm learning the Bible at a deeper level, and God's calling me to preach, and I get done with my first, uh, the first assignment we had for preaching class, that is to give our testimony, and I lose assurance of my salvation in the middle of that whole thing. And that's because my, my testimony wasn't as detailed as so many of the others that I heard. And yet, the bottom line is this. It's not, it's not what, it's not how, it's not when, it's whom. And if you ever struggle with sal- uh, assurance of your salvation, remember this. Before you're saved, 
the devil will try to just kind of push you along. And when you hear something about the guy, you're okay. You're okay. Don't worry about that stuff. Right? He'll just, because he wants you to stay the way you are, lost. But then you get saved, and now you're dangerous to him because you got, you, got, you got a gospel gun, and it's loaded. And you got the power of God in the gospel, and he's afraid you're going to give it out. So the best way to shut you up is to, is to, is to make you think that you're not really saved. If you don't think you're really saved, you're not going to tell anybody how to get saved. So he tries to make you doubt and one of the ways he makes you doubt is all these other particulars, all this minutiae. The bottom line is, whom have you believed? Whom have you believed? And I ask you this question today. There's somebody sitting in this group, I know it, and somebody on live stream that has been doubting. Settle it now. Who are you trusting right now? Whom have you believed right now? Say, well, I, back there, I forget back there. Well, when I was five or six and then 15 and then 20, forget all that. Whom have you believed now? Well, I'm trusting Jesus Christ. You're saved. Okay? It's not what you did. It's whom you have believed. Now, watch why that's so important and, and, and why that's so complete. He says, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. Now, here it is. It's not about you, but I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Bottom line, have you committed your soul and spirit to the keeping of Jesus Christ? Have you come to him as a sinner and just said, Lord, I need you to be my Savior? And if you've done that, he is able to keep that which you've committed unto him against that day. And that's the most important thing right there. So knowing Christ as your personal Savior, it is, it is whom you have believed. The second thing is found in Philippians chapter 3, if you'd turn there. Philippians chapter 3. And some things worth knowing. Number one, knowing Christ as your personal Savior. The second thing is the character of that Savior. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him. Now, Paul already knew Christ in the sense that he was saved. A lot of times we use that as an expression. Are you saved? And someone will say, Yes, I know the Lord. And we know what that means. That means that we know the Lord as our Savior. We have that relationship. But Paul's talking about something beyond that. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, that sounds like something we should want to have, amen? I mean, I look at that and I say, yeah, give me that. I want the power of the resurrection. And Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The more we get to know him, the more we get acquainted with the power of his resurrection. But notice what also comes with this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And, of course, we get to know him. We're getting to know a suffering Savior. And you read Isaiah chapter 53, and you see that Christ suffered 
for us. And so if we're going to get to know him, there's going to be some suffering involved. But with that comes the power of the resurrection. And then Paul says being made conformable unto his death. So who is this Savior? Well, he's God manifest in the flesh. He's God manifest in the flesh. He is the one that created the universe, according to Colossians chapter 1. Isn't that something? I'll tell you what, the longer I live, the, the more I am amazed at God's creation. Sci- science and their theories of evolution don't impress me at all. In fact, the, the more I hear from them, the more ridiculous they sound. The, the more I understand, what little bit I understand of the, the complexity of the human body, I, I know more about all the different cell lines in the blood than I want to know. And it's not that I set out one time in life to, to, to study these things. I just ended up with a blood cancer, and I've learned a lot about, about how these different cell lines interact with each other. You know, you, you, you get cut, and you have some red blood, and it just looks like, you know, some red liquid. It is so much more than that. And, and all those cell lines interact with each other, and then they interact with all the different systems in our body. And the complexity is such that, that doctors and scientists have been studying for centuries and millenniums, and, and they're still discovering things, and they still haven't scratched the surface. And you know why that is? Because an amazingly complex God put us together, and David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Just to look at the human body and the complexity of it is so amazing, and you see God's intelligent design in all of it. And and when I talk to doctors, I don't care whether they're regular family doctor guys or physician assistants or some, uh, some, I I call the ones at the research hospitals that specialize in certain things, I call them the mad scientists. And when I witness these guys, I I don't try to be disrespectful, but I'm very blunt with them. Because I know that they know something that I know that they don't know that I know. And that is the little bit I know about the blood. When I sit down with one of these hematologists and start witnessing to him, I realize he knows probably hundreds of times more than I do the complexity of just the blood. That system. And when I witness to them and they begin to bring up things about evolution, this is what I say to them. Forget it. I, I, don't, I don't even ask them if they really believe that. I say, you don't believe that. And I've had a couple of them go like that. I say, I know you don't believe that. You're too smart for that. What little bit I know blows my mind. And you know way more than I do. And are you going to sit there and tell me it was all just a big accident? Come on. Come on. Nothing Nothing good comes of an accident. The big bang. Right. Order out of chaos all day long. You guys that work construction tomorrow. Just pile up all the materials over a pile of dynamite and light it. (laughs) And step back 
and you can all go home because a beautiful building will just shoot out of the ground. Come on. Folks, what an amazing God. You, 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 look, you look at the micro and things you can't even see without a microscope and, and they know there's more to it even than that. And you look at the macro, you get out into the universe and the astronomical size of this universe and all the coordination and, and all the complexities of all the systems in nature and in our bodies. And you know what? We're, we're dealing with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the glorious creator of all things. His natural attributes, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's all-present, he's immutable, he does not change. He does not change. Men are fickled. Are we not? Men are fickled, and, and when we say this, we better include ourselves. We are a fickle bunch, not God. His moral attributes, he's righteous, he's holy, he's pure, he's love. The Bible says God is love. He is a God of mercy. The Bible says in Psalm 136, his mercy endureth forever. 25 verses punctuated by his mercy endureth forever. Aren't you glad that his mercy endureth forever? The character of that Savior. We may have met him, but do we know him? Do we know him? When my wife and I got married almost 50 years ago, just five years shy of 50 years ago, we loved each other, we knew each other, but how much more we know each other now. And so God wants us to get to know him better in our relationship with him. First John chapter five, if you would. Turn just a few pages forward. First John chapter five. And for that relationship to grow and to deepen. Salvation is not, not a ticket to heaven. It's not a ticket to heaven. It's so much more than that. It's a relationship with a living Savior. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. Now watch this. That we may know him. That is true, and we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Now, we could park there for a day, John said so much right there. But the bottom line is he says that we may know him, that we may know him, to know God, to know God. You know, people get caught up in celebrity. And, and that's why, you know, a lot of people think, boy, wouldn't it be great to be a celebrity? I can't think of anything worse. Do you know what being a celebrity means? It might be very flattering in the beginning, but, but as, as time wears you down, you can never be alone. You can never get to yourself. You're never left alone, constantly badgered, because everybody wants a piece of that. Uh, they want to kind of live that fame vicariously. How overrated. How overrated. And yet people just fall all over themselves to get to know somebody that's considered a celebrity. Folks, we have the living God living inside of us. And we know him and that we're saved 
and he's our Savior, and he wants us to get to know him better and better each day, and we can. What a wonderful privilege. What a wonderful privilege. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, even as Christians, sometimes we seem to know all about issues, but my question is, are we getting to know him better? Sometimes we know, unfortunately, all about scandals. And let's not be like the world. Let's not be curious. The Bible says we're to be wise concerning that which is good and what? Simple concerning evil. Simple concerning evil. Somebody says, do you know what so-and-so did? And no, I don't. And I don't want to know. I'll have a nicer day that way. But apparently misery loves company sometimes, and people want to know. Sometimes we know all about people. We know about dogma. We know about procedures and programs. But do we know him? In fact, so-called Christian psychology, which is an oxymoron, has taught us we need to know more about ourselves. You know what? <clears throat> I got saved because I found out a little too much about myself. I found out enough about myself that I knew that I was a sinner on my way to hell. I was in trouble with God. And so I'd rather know less of me. He must increase and I must decrease. Ephesus left their first love. Laodicea became self-centered and turned inward. Why? Because they didn't continue to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more and more. And you know, sometimes the actions of God's people in and out of the Bible show that we really don't know the Lord the way we should know the Lord. I take in the very first book of the Bible, Adam running and hiding from God. And first of all, you can't hide from God. Okay, if you want to try to hide from God, good luck. Jonah found that one out. He ran from the presence of the Lord. And he wound up in the, the belly of a whale. Uh, but you know what? He needed God. If ever Adam needed God, it was after him and Eve sinned. Israel, they get out in the wilderness. And God had delivered them from Egypt with great miracles. And they hit a tough spot. You know what they concluded? Well, there weren't enough graves in Egypt, so God let us out here to kill us all out here and create this huge graveyard. Does that sound like God? They obviously had some misconceptions. Uh, Jacob, the supplanter, didn't trust God, so he was always kind of working an angle. I think of Israel's idolatry. Israel's idolatry that, you know, with idolatry, when you, when you worship the works of men's hands to make a wooden God or a stone God or a glass God or something like that. And God tried to reason with them because they were putting God on the level of a potted plant. They were saying, hey, listen, the guy chops a, a tree down and he takes part of it and he, he warms himself with it. And he takes part of it and he cooks his food with it. And then he takes part of it and makes a God and falls down before it. How much sense does that make? You know, when we're idolatrous, it shows we really, we really don't understand who God is. I think of Peter. 
Peter saying, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Folks, when we find ourselves sinful men, we need the Lord. I think of the disciples when they went to a place where their word was rejected and they said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? I don't know a Baptist preacher that wouldn't want that power. And I know exactly why God doesn't give it to us. <laughs> and Jesus said, you know not of what spirit you are. Folks, these kind of things show that we really don't know him the way we should. And to know him is to love him. And the more we get to know him, then we understand how he operates. I remember old Mel Sabaka. Some of you remember him years ago. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And he said one time, he said, God's not standing around with a two-by-four waiting for an excuse to hit you. In fact, I find, out, I find out more often than not, God is standing around looking for an excuse to bless us. And we're usually the ones that, that keep that from happening. And even when he chastens us, he chastens us in love because he wants us to get back on track. And he chastens us when all other options have been exhausted. Little boy asked his brother, who had just gotten a spanking from his dad, he said, how come you kept running up to dad and, and hugging on him, holding on him? He said, because the closer I get to him, he said, the harder it is for him to, to spank me. <laughs> but we read Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And in that whole prayer, in, in verses 14 through 21, it is just woven with the idea over and over again that Paul wanted those believers at Ephesus to know the Lord on a deeper and deeper and deeper level, to get to know him. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I'm going to make the simplest of statements that we use all the time but I'm afraid we take for granted, he loves you. He loves you. A great uh, uh, president of a Christian college in a century gone by, uh, a whole graduating class, seminary students were getting ready to go into the ministry, and he got up at their graduation, and he was going to give the big speech. He was going to give the big speech. And he got up there, and boy, all these, these seminary graduates, you know, they got their they got their tablets out, and they got their writing instruments, and they're getting ready to write because they're going to write down these profound thoughts. And he gets up, and he stands up, and he says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and then sat down. And you know, when it's all said and done, that's probably the most profound thing I could say this morning. And, and, and we should marvel at that. We should marvel at that. One of these songs talked about, you know, what, what wretches we are. And yet God loves us. He would, he would condescend to love us. And, and, you know, all this psychology these days, and, 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 and just settle it, folks. There is no such thing as Christian psychology. Okay? There is no. Psychology is human philosophy. Human philosophy that starts with a false premise about man that man is basically good. 
And all we got to do is get in there and just sort of stir up that goodness. Put a little psychological fertilizer and all that goodness, and we'll, we'll just really all be great people. We don't need to repent of our sins. We don't need a Savior. And you can't, you can't amalgamate that with the truths of the Word of God concerning biblical anthropology and who we really are and what our real needs are is that we need to be saved from our sins. And so everybody's all wrapped up in this self-importance, self-love, self-esteem, self-all. You know, the only self-esteem God ever talks about, he said, esteem others better than yourself. And I found this. The more I do that and the less I think about me, the happier I am. And I don't know about you, but being happy is one of the goals of my life. And the more I get focused on myself, the less happy I find myself. And so here it is, folks. Here it is in a nutshell. You're, you, are, you are important. You are important. All right, let me back up for a second. God doesn't love you because you're important. Okay? God didn't see a bunch of celebrities and say, oh, man, I need those guys on my team. I'll, I'll love them and I'll, 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 you know, I'll really benefit from that. No, he, he, he doesn't love you because you're important. You're important because he loves you. That's where we derive our importance, folks. That's where we derive our importance. If you're going to try to derive your importance from, from anything that's intrinsic, that's going to break down. Okay? But if you derive your importance from the fact that he loves you, all right, that's going to work. That's going to work. And you won't be all focused on yourself, and you won't be hung up on the fact that, you know, some third-grade teacher told you you were dumb or, you know, somebody dropped you on your head when you were, you were, you know, 18 months old or your mother fed you goat's milk instead of formula or something like that. None of that's going to matter anymore because God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Little boy that was adopted uh, went to school, and as kids can be, kids can be cruel, and they started making fun of him because he was adopted the little boy came home discouraged. Mom said, what's wrong? And he explained what happened. And so uh, mom explained how that we chose you and, and all, all that went with that. So he went back to school the next day, and the kids started making fun of him. And he said, hey, hey, my parents picked me. Your parents had to take what they could get. And the longer I live as a preacher, I find that my preaching gravitates more and more toward preach Christ. Preach Christ. Those old timers, that's what they used to say. They used to say, preach Christ, preach Christ, preach Christ. And you can't go wrong preaching Christ. I know whom I have believed. My salvation is secure because of him, not because of me. I know whom I have believed. And I know this Savior. I know this Savior not as well as I should, not as well as I'm going to, not as well as I hope to in this life, but someday up in heaven, we're really going to get to know him. We're really going to get to know him. Without, without all the, the barriers that the old man throws in front of us, and we'll, we see now through a glass darkly, but then we're going to see him face to face. Then we will know even as we are known.
I'd like to take you one more place this morning, just for a couple minutes, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue on this thought later. But the third thing that's worth knowing, I just want to throw this out to you. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 1 once again. Philippians chapter 1. And this third thing worth knowing is that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. Philippians chapter 1 verse 19. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, what does Paul mean when he says this will turn to my salvation? What he's talking about here is Paul is in prison. He's in prison. And when he talks about it'll turn to his salvation, it doesn't mean that I'll be saved in the sense of being born again. He was already that. He was talking about salvation from this circumstance, getting out of prison, getting out of prison. He wanted out. And, and he says, I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, verse 19, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So prayer, you know, the bumper sticker, you've seen it, prayer changes things. And it does. But just remember something. It doesn't always change things the way we want them changed. Okay? So let's get rid of that misconception because if you don't, you're going to spend a lot of your time uh, concerning prayer disappointed. And that's why people quit praying. They quit praying. Well, I asked God to do this and nothing happened. No, that didn't happen, but something else probably happened. You know, sometimes prayer doesn't change things. It changes us to get along with some things that we want changed. We talked about this on Wednesday night, but Hebrews 11, that great, that great chapter, the, the heroes of faith and God's hall of faith there. And, and you got some people there that received miraculous deliverances. But that's only one group out of four. And see, that's where we always want to live. We always want, hey, God, I asked for something, and, and bang, you check the box immediately. But it doesn't always work that way. So remember, God does answer prayer. God does change things through prayer, but not always, not always in the way that we would have it. And by the way, a lot of times it's for our better. You've been saved any length of time. You can look back on your life and look at some things you asked for that God didn't give you that you can now rejoice that he didn't give you those things. Verse 20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose... I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So what's he talking about here? He's saying, look, I'm, I'm praying, you're praying for my salvation, that I'll be delivered from these circumstances. But he, in verse 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, he says, look, if God does take me, I want to glorify him in death. And if God allows me to live, I want to glorify him in life. And he said he was in a straight betwixt two, verse 23. He had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, but he knew he was needed here. 
Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Where did that confidence come from? It came from prayer, prayer, prayer. How important is prayer? Prayer is that link between us and God before we get to heaven. We, we serve an invisible God. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Someone once said prayer stands as a place where God and human beings meet. Therefore, we must learn about prayer. Most of our struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why doesn't God act the way we want him to? And why don't I act the way God wants me to? And prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. Prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. Prayer is that bridge between us and God until we get home to be with him in heaven. Let me encourage you to pray. And, and by the way, God will answer prayer if it's an all-night prayer vigil. God will answer prayer if it's a short prayer. How many times in the Pauline epistles do we read a phrase something like this where Paul says, making mention of you in my prayers? You know, the first time I noticed that, that really encouraged me. That really encouraged me. Because up till then, I thought those kind of, well, God, please bless that guy. Those kind of prayers really weren't worth much. But really, they are. They really are. I mean, that's not that we should skip protracted times of prayer, but sometimes when you don't have much time to pray, you know, you guys working on the job, I could just, I used to work construction, I could just see stopping in the middle of the day while everyone's working and getting down on my knees and praying for a half an hour. How would that go over with the boss? Huh? I'd be collecting some of that enhanced unemployment. <laughs> if I'm lucky. So sometimes you don't have the time. You're driving down the road. Do not bow your head. Do not close your eyes. And do not pray for a half an hour while you're driving down the interstate. It's not going to work. But you know what? God knows what we mean. And several times in the Pauline epistle, Paul says it. He says, making mention of you in my prayers. So sometimes just, brother so-and-so, Lord, is going through this hard time. Please help him. You know what? I believe God will answer that. I believe God hears that. You know what? That encourages me to pray. It encourages me to pray. Folks, we need prayer. We need prayer. And don't think just because every time you get down on your knees and pray, God doesn't part the Red Sea that he's not hearing you. He's hearing you, folks. He's hearing you. We have access to God through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and again, we'll, we'll continue on this a little bit. Um, this Operation Jericho. Brother Donnelly, I just got done with my first packet. I'm so, I'm so jazzed about that. And it was really easy, and I enjoyed You know what I enjoyed? While I was sitting there, you know, writing all the stuff and, and filling out all the stuff, putting it in, in, the, in the, and folding up the letter and sticking it in the envelope, 
and knowing that I'm going to mail the gospel to somebody's house. The U.S. Postal Service is going to help me evangelize 30 families. Thank you, Uncle Sam. And you know what I enjoyed as much as anything? Their name is, I don't know these people. I've got a name and I've got an address and I've got a town and I've got a zip code. But I know that's a real person and probably a real family. And so while I'm putting all this together, I'm saying, Lord, please save these people. Well, I know something. I believe God hears that. There's value in that. And who knows who prayed for you that way before you got saved. I'm sure there were people that got down on their knees and they prayed and they cried and they wept and they called out to God. And if you were like me, I was a, I was a stubborn pig head before I got saved. It took months of hearing the gospel over and over again. And I guarantee you prayer had a lot to do with my salvation. And I'm sure it had a lot to do with yours today too. And God will hear your prayers. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a great privilege? Three things, three things, folks, that if you weren't saved, if you were the smartest, most successful, wealthy person in the whole world and had everything by the world's standards, including celebrity, you wouldn't have anything without those three things, knowing Christ is your Savior, knowing the character of that Savior, and knowing that God answers prayer. You got a burden this morning? Take it to God in prayer. You say, well, I've done it before. Do it again. Keep bringing it to the Lord. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get to know the Lord better. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have more confidence in him than you will in your circumstances. That's our trouble so often as Christians. God, man, I'd be happy. I'd be rejoicing if you just rearrange things the way I asked you to rearrange everything. And you know what happens? We just wait and wait and wait. And folks, contentment, contentment doesn't come from getting all we want. It doesn't come from joy. Joy comes from contentment. And contentment comes from thankfulness. Make a big part of your prayer life thanking him. Thanking him. Once in a while, I'll take my prayer time in the morning when I get up, and I'll just make it all about thanking the Lord. I'll just say, Lord, I'm not going to ask for anything this morning. You know what I need already. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. And I just start going through everything that I need to thank the Lord for. And you know what, folks? There's no end. There's no end. God has been so good to us. What a great God. Those are some things worth knowing. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you that you've given us some things worth knowing. Father, we live in a day and age... I believe so many have said of information, but truth be known, of misinformation. And yet you've given us some things through your word that are true, and they are certainly worth knowing. So, Father, help us to pursue them. Help us to stay in your word. Help us to stay in our knees in prayer and continue to get to know you better and better, that our joy might increase, that our testimony and witness might get stronger by the day, and we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 614. 
Number 614. When the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. Mike Walski, would you come on up and close us in a word of prayer? Brother Walski, would you lead us? Let's bow before the one we know. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the message this morning and thankful the reminder for us that are saved that we know him. And Lord, the desire in our heart is to know him in a fuller way, a greater way, and that we can magnify him in this life and that others through our testimony can come to know him as well. Thank you, Lord, for that reminder. I pray, Father, that you bless the fellowship that we have over the food. I pray you bless the food and your strength in our bodies uh, through it. Thank you for those that have prepared for it, the church that has uh, provided it. And, uh, Lord, please bless the fellowship we have. And then later on, the thing that we have and the chance to rejoice and glorify you and magnify your name in song. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.